Well, I would invite you to use your worship guide and turn to the passage on page 9 from Matthew 21. And then if you brought your Bible or you use a Bible app or if you have access to Google, I would invite you to also to use that to open up to the book of Zephaniah. I'm sorry, Zechariah, the other Z book. Zechariah 9, 9 through 12. We're going to look at both passages this evening. Matthew 21, Zechariah 9. We spent uh, eight or nine weeks in the book of Matthew looking at uh, what the Bible teaches about the mission of the church and the purpose of the Christian life. Uh, wonderful passages that describe each are found in the book of Matthew. We, we spent lots of time there all together. Well, that's over. Now it's Palm Sunday, and next week is Easter. So these two weeks, we're going to look at the Palm Sunday story from Matthew, because that's where we've been. And next week, we'll look at the Easter story from Matthew. And then after that, we're going to hang out in the Psalms for a while. That's what we do in between big series. And then after that, we'll jump in somewhere else in another long look at a big passage of Scripture. Okay? So I'll tell you what. Let's... um Let's read this passage in Matthew 21. I will pray for us, and then we'll get going. Now, when they stand for the reading of God's word. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Beth Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went, and they did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise? 
And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you that you continue to speak through your word. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to illuminate your word in our hearts and help us to understand what it means for us today. God, I pray that you would do that. Would you illuminate this word? Help us to see Jesus for who he is. Help us to receive him. Help us to be changed by him. For your glory. Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right, so what is Palm Sunday all about? Well, we've kind of already answered that here in the service. Palm Sunday is the day that we celebrate Jesus' ride on a colt of a donkey uh, into Jerusalem. Uh, This passage says a colt and a donkey. Well, if you read in Mark or in Luke or John, it's clear that Jesus, there there was two, but he, he rode the smaller one. Jesus was riding the colt into town. And this was, uh, this was purposeful. This was planned. It was uh, a provocative and purposeful act on Jesus' part. He meant to stir something up in the city. He meant to make a statement. In fact, the whole thing was designed by him to make a statement. That's part of why it starts with Jesus uh, saying on, on the, when he drew near to Jerusalem, telling two of the disciples, go to this place and you'll find a colt and a donkey. Uh, commandeer them. Take them. And if the guy comes out and says, what are you doing? Say, the Lord needs them. And bring them to me. Jesus, this whole Palm Sunday thing was a very clear statement that he was trying to make and that he did make very strongly. So, Jesus' big Palm Sunday statement meant something in the time and place. It meant something in first century Jerusalem to Jewish people who were gathered from all over, all over the Jewish diaspora to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. It meant something to them. But it's also designed by Jesus to mean something to us today. So the big question for our time here this morning is, what was Jesus' Palm Sunday statement? What is the meaning of all this? What was he trying to demonstrate and say? And I guess the second question then would be, what should that mean to us? What should that mean to us people, you know, living right now today in this city, uh, Hope Presbyterian Church? So what was Jesus' big Palm Sunday statement? What was the meaning of all that, and what does it mean for us? First, what was his big statement? <clears throat> well, it says at the beginning, it says that, you know, he, he, he told the disciples, we don't know which disciples it was, and remember, Jesus, there weren't just 12. There were 12 specially designated to be the leaders of the new church, but he had lots of disciples. So we don't really know who, who he sent, but he sent two people. You know, go get the donkey and the colt, bring them back, tell the person the Lord needs them. And then Matthew writes this little note. He says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. 
Very often in the New Testament, when we see a portion of an Old Testament text quoted, that little portion is important, but the authors uh, really intend for us to, to go back and look at that text in its context to understand it. So this little blurb comes from the book of Zechariah. So if you would, let's turn to the book of Zechariah where you hopefully you turned before. Um, and let's read the whole section. First, uh, before I read it, I'm going to just give you like a, like a couple sentences framing the context of this statement in Zechariah. So Zechariah was a prophet. Uh, he was a prophet uh, in and around Jerusalem. And this was, this was late in the Old Testament story. So if you know your Old Testament narrative arc, uh, the, the people lived in Israel or and after David and Solomon, there were two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And then they started to drift into disobedience years and years and years. And then the northern kingdom, because of their disobedience, God allowed the Assyrians to wipe them out. And then after a while, the southern kingdom, because of their disobedience, God allowed the Babylonians to come in and wipe them out and shipped a remnant of people off to Babylon. Well, then after, you know, 70 years or so, a little group of uh, Jewish exiles in Babylon were sent back to Jerusalem, right? That's where we get the story of Nehemiah building the wall and the priest Ezra starting to get the people to build the temple. Uh, so the, Zechariah lived around that time, maybe 20 years or so after that first group came back. Now, as a prophet, Zechariah, his, the, the big issue on his hands. Him as a prophet, as a, as a pastor, the, the problem he was dealing with with his people was discouragement. The people had sort of thought when they came back with Nehemiah and Ezra and they started rebuilding that this was the end of the exile. That, you know, it's over. Um, now God's going to restore us to our former glory. And there's a story in the book of Ezra when they, you know, they started to build the temple. Some of the people who were old enough to remember the last one wept because the new temple was paled in comparison to the glory of the last one. We also read the story about how when they rebuild the temple, it wasn't like the first time. The first temple that Solomon built, and even before that, when the people who come out of Egypt built the tabernacle, God filled the temple, the tabernacle, with his presence. Like the, the holy cloud came down and filled. Well, this didn't happen in this second temple. So Zechariah as a prophet, as a kind of, you know, think of him as Pastor Zechariah. What he dealt with with the people in Jerusalem was this discouragement that, oh, I guess the exile isn't over. I don't even know why God sent us back here. This was like a, is this a joke? Our, the Jews are still spread across the globe. We built, we're building this new temple and where's God's divine presence? We're still overrun by our enemies. What's going on? And then Zechariah comes on the scene. And this is the really the climax of his message. He tells these discouraged people, Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation. Humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. This is the Lord talking through Zechariah. And the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be cut off. And he will seek peace to the nations. Speak peace to the nations. And he will rule from sea to sea. From the river to the ends of the earth. But for you also, because the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare to you that I will restore to you double, for I have bent Judah as my bow, I have made Ephraim its arrow, and I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. (laughs) Man, what a powerful, powerful message from God to the people through the prophet Zechariah. Basically what Zechariah is telling these folks Hey, I know you're discouraged. I know we're still oppressed by our enemies. I know the temple still isn't really what we thought. But a king is coming. God is going to send a Messiah. A king is coming. And this king is going to be like Solomon riding into the city on a donkey. It's alluded to here. It's like Zechariah saying, remember that story? Uh, everyone thought that Adonijah, the, the, the bad son of David, was taking over the throne. But remember how easy it was for King David to say, no, Solomon's the guy. And he rode into town on a mule, not even a war horse. Solomon didn't have to lift a finger to fight anybody. He rode into town. The whole town rejoiced. And Adonijah, his rival, quivered in fear. Well, it's going to be like that, Jerusalem. God's going to send a king. He's going to be humble, like Solomon was. And he is going to cut off the chariot from Ephraim, from the northern kingdom. He's going to cut off the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be cut off. He will speak peace to the nations. What he's saying is a king is going to come. He's going to confront our enemies and then he goes on to say that this king is going to exalt the lowly Zechariah says this king is going to set the prisoners free this king it's it's like we've been in this waterless pit well he's going to redeem us from that he's going to restore our nation and our people he's going to empower them to continue to stand up against their enemies Against Greece. The next big empire that's going to invade is Greece. And he's going to allow them to defend themselves. So, Zechariah, the prophet, tells the discouraged people of Israel uh, really three things. A king is coming. He is going to defeat the people's enemies. And he's going to exalt the lowly. Now, Jesus tells the two people, go get the donkey. Thus far in the book of Matthew, Jesus has been doing all kinds of Messiah things. People are referring to him as God's anointed one. You know, he's casting out demons and they're saying, I don't know who you are. And he's telling all these people, shh, 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 my time has not come. Don't don't spread the word that that I'm the messianic king. Not yet. Let's wait. Let's wait. And if you read the book of Matthew front 
to back. Around Jesus' birth, there's all this prophetic stuff about him being the Messiah, like Zechariah predicted. And then he hits the scene, and he starts to sort of tamper down this messianic fervor. And that's sort of the culture of his whole ministry till you get to chapter 21, and he tells his friends, go get the donkey. It's time. And I love that Matthew writes, he did this to fulfill what the prophet Zechariah had said. It's like Matthew is writing to us and he's like, guys, it's time. <laughs> it's awesome. So what was Jesus's big go get the donkey right into town? Uh, what was his big statement? Well, Matthew gives us a clue when he says all of this was to fulfill what the prophet Zechariah predicted. What did the prophet Zechariah predict? That God's king would come. That he would defeat the enemies of the people. And that he would exalt the lowly. That's Jesus' Palm Sunday uh, performance piece. As he rides in on the donkey, he wants folks to know God's king has come. He's going to put away your enemies. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm here to do that and exalt the lowly. You know, Zechariah didn't just make this up. Uh, that story of Solomon that we read earlier, we see the same thing there. When Solomon rode into town on the mule, it was he was. You know, there was this other king, Adonijah, this guy who said he was king. Well, Adonijah had said, "I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna be the king. I'm gonna take David's throne." And he had this little conspiracy and. Uh, Nathan the prophet and Bathsheba, Solomon's mom, found out about it and were like, no, Adonijah's not God's king. Solomon's God's king. So the story in 1 Kings, Solomon was God's king. And then what did he do? He rode into town and he put away the enemies of the people, this false rival to the throne. And then Solomon, and we read that story, exalted the lowly. Not only did it say that the whole city rejoiced, but that piece in the story about his mom, Bathsheba. Do you remember who Bathsheba is? She's the lady that David took to be his wife. He did an awful thing. And then killed her husband. And and then their first kid died. (laughs) Solomon was their second kid. So Bathsheba was this wife of David who had been disgraced by him. Over and over again, taking her, killing her husband, and then because of his sin, their child died. But when she goes into the throne room and says, David, you said Solomon would succeed you. He goes, oh, yeah, go get the mule. And Solomon rides into town. Guess which lowly person is now exalted? Bathsheba. So in the Bible, when candidates for kingship right into town on a donkey. That's what they do. And that's what Zechariah is getting at. That's what the author of 1 Kings is getting at. And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate. I'm God's anointed king. I'm here to put away the enemies of the people. And I'm here to exalt the lowly. Now, look at how he does it. This is, uh, so I guess that's, that's uh, well, yeah, look at how he does it. First, he shows that he is Israel's true king, the true Messiah. He says, go get the donkey, go get the colt. 
And as he rides in, look at verse 9. The, the people know what's going on. This is, this is awesome. It says that they, verse 9, uh, well, verse 8. Uh, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. They're making this a parade. They're shutting down traffic. And the crowds went before him and followed him. So they're, they're in front, they're behind, and they're shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna means God save us. Uh, it's like, uh, it's sort of like, you know, back in, you know, some cultures they say God save the king, or in some cultures they might say hail to, you know, a leader. It's God save us. They say Hosanna to the son of David. That's hearkening back to that Solomon thing. Solomon's the legitimate heir. That's hearkening back to Zechariah that, that, David's son is going to come. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And now the whole city is stirred up. Saying, who is this? This is Jesus is making a radical claim here. If the people who know what's going on are doing like king parade. And the people who don't know what's going on are going, this is serious. Now remember, this is this is like... Jerusalem in this time was occupied by the Romans. There were several different parties trying to get the Romans out. Uh, some people in power trying to keep the Romans in. This was a city, this city was a revolutionary hotbed. And here comes Jesus making this striking demonstration. People are saying, who is this? Jesus was saying, it's time. I'm the rightful king. Now, and people lay down their coats. The people know. Okay, so that's clear. He's saying he's the king. He's also saying, I'm here to confront your enemies. Jesus confronts the enemies of the people. That's what Zechariah had predicted. This this king is going to, uh, he's going to be humble, but he, he's going to be the one that wields the bow. Uh, he's going to kick out the enemies. Look at what Jesus does, what Matthew Shows what Jesus does right after he rides in. It says that, verse 12, <clears throat> Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he turned over, um, he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now, if Jesus was saying that he's the new exalted king, that he's here to kick out the enemies, and he's here to exalt the lowly, it's fascinating to me that Matthew shows him, right after he rides in, very clear kingly thing going on. He goes straight to the temple. I would think that he would go to, like, King Herod's palace, or he would go to Pilate's house, some governor kingly person, and kick them out and go take, but that's not what he does. He goes to the temple. Now what he's supposed to be doing here, according to Zechariah's prophecy and according to the, the uh, archetype story, uh, prototype story of Solomon's thing, he's supposed to be kicking out the enemies of the people, the challengers to the throne, the occupiers. But he goes to the temple. Now part of the Palm Sunday story that we... As Christians tell every year. Part, one, part of the things about it that we 
it's easy to notice, alluded to at the beginning of the service, is that the Jerusalem crowds who said, Hosanna in the highest to the son of David, you know, deliver us, that hailed him as the messianic king on Sunday, by Friday these crowds were saying, crucify him, right? It's part of the irony of the story. Well, one of the things that made the crowds shift is that they saw Jesus coming in as the Messiah to kick out the enemies. But Jesus didn't kick out the enemies they thought he would. Remember, the city's a revolutionary hotbed. Most of the people at this time, most of the common people, except for like the, the excuse me, the Sadducees, the party of religious elites that was allied with Rome. Most of the people wanted and expected the Messiah to come in and kick out the Romans. And that wasn't unreasonable. Zechariah had talked about the exile finally ending. And when Jesus didn't do that, that made people mad. It couldn't be him. But Jesus does kick out the enemies of the people, just not the enemies they thought. He goes to the temple goes into the common area in the temple, which is the temple, there was like an area for Jews and Gentiles. The whole world can come and worship God. Then there was just an area for Jews, and then there was like the most holy places just for priests. He goes into that whole world common area, and that area is filled with money changers. Now, if you were from some other place, you were a Jew or you're a Gentile from Alexandria or from Persia or from North Africa, and you had come to the temple to worship, you would need to exchange your money for temple money, Jerusalem money, so that you could buy an animal to sacrifice to God. And so we have money changers, uh, and then we have people selling, you know, it talks about pigeons. Well, pigeons are what they would sell to the poorest people. And so he goes into this all-nations court in the temple, and it's filled with folks who are trying to make a profit off of worship. Now, Jesus had cleared the temple before. He There was a temple clearing at the beginning of his ministry that we read about in the book of John, and then one near the end of his ministry. This is the second one. In the first one, he talks about the temple as my father's house. In this one, he says, my house. He goes in and he flips over the money-changing tables. Now, what that says is, first of all, nobody's going to make a profit on somebody coming to worship God. Worshiping God is not for sale. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. Uh, That's not what we're doing here. That's not true religion. He makes that statement pretty strongly. But the other statement that he makes that strongly by overturning the money money changing tables is that people from outside don't need to go through a man-made barrier exchanging currency in order to participate. He wants, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. That's what Luke adds to that. He says all nations in Luke. Here he just says a house of prayer. And he says, but you make it a den of robbers. Now Jesus is coming in to defeat and cast out and to put to shame the enemies of God's people. Like Solomon put Adonijah to shame. Like Zechariah predicted the Messiah would do to kick out the oppressors. What Jesus is showing here is that the great oppressors of the people of God 
were not political oppressors, even though they thought they were. No. They were, they were religious oppressors. To be more specific, their great oppressor was the sin that lived in the hearts of the people that said that true religion, true worship, true experience of God is something that is to be bought and sold, worked for and earned. Jesus goes in and he says, no, we're not buying and selling experience with God. We're not putting up barriers for people to do certain things so that they can be. No, this house is a house of prayer for everyone. No self-made, self-profit religion here. That's the enemy. Now, that's striking because these people had lived under Roman boots for so long. And Jesus goes in. Romans were horrible oppressors. And he shows that the true enemy, the one that's much worse than the Romans, the one that Zechariah actually prophesied that that the Messiah would come to put down, was the enemy that lives in our hearts. (laughs) So Jesus comes. He's saying, I'm the Messianic king. I'm the true king. I'm God's anointed deliverer. And then he comes and he puts down, puts his neck on the enemy of the people. And then he exalts the lowly. It says, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Later it says that children were crying. Now in first century uh, uh, Jewish establishment, the establishment system, Sadducees, Pharisees, around the temple, uh, the disabled people and children were not just second class. They were pretty low on the ladder. We know this because we can read about in John 9 when there was a man born blind and the Pharisees were there and they said, if he was born blind, obviously he's in sin. People with disabilities and kids, according to the religious establishment at the time, were not welcome. But what does Jesus do? He lifts them up. He makes them welcome. So this is Jesus' big Palm Sunday statement. Go get the donkey. I'm the real king around here. I'm putting down the enemy. It's not the enemy you thought. It's not the political enemy. It's the sin in our hearts trying to work our way, buy our way to God enemy. And then these people that have been made second class by God's people, by the religious establishment, He lifts up. So what does this mean for us? As we look back, just beyond historical fascination, what does it mean for us to to hail Jesus, Hosanna to the Son of David, today, Palm Sunday? What does that mean? Well, three things. It means that we begin to praise him and worship him and acknowledge him as being the true king who delivers us. Now, We do that every week. We come together to sing praises to him as king, and that's good. And we can do that because he came into the world from heaven to be one of us, to lead us to God. We do that because of the gospel, that God became a human being in order to rule the world, in order to do what we could never do, which is to make creation flourish. 
He's the king. It also means acknowledging that he's the one that puts down our enemies, and they might not be the enemies that we think they are. Folks, I'm, I'm sure you know that we live in a cultural time and place where Christians, where the church, seem to be obsessed with political power or seem to be obsessed with political oppressors. And Jesus comes to us and he wants us to know that the kingdom he establishes is not a Republican kingdom or a Democratic kingdom or who's on the city council or who's on the Supreme Court kingdom. It's not a CNN or Fox News kingdom. It's bigger than that. Folks, we as Christians, our people have talked a lot, especially through COVID, about how hard it is for us to be the church. And just like times the people of Jerusalem, yes, the Romans oppressed them. There are times when we might experience oppression. But you know, in the Bible, when we experience hardship as Christians, especially in the New Testament, it's supposed to be matters for joy, for thanksgiving. Like in the book of James, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. James and in Romans. We get on this kick where we think the kingdom will come if we get the right candidate or the right judge or the right whatever. But Jesus comes as the true king to put down our true enemy, which is the sin that lives in our hearts. And he put it down on Good Friday when he hung on a cross and on Easter Sunday when he rose from the dead to put it to death. So he calls us as his people to hail him as king and recognize what he's doing as our true hope and as our true deliverance and let go of the obsession with political power and influence. Of course the world is messed up. It has been for a long time. But the answer is not a political thing. It's a Jesus thing. And his kingship is transcends our political boundaries. Well, last, what it means for us, he's the real king. He puts our enemies to death. I mean, sin in our hearts. He exalts the lowly. He exalts the lowly. We've been talking about through this last series that our purpose of the Christian life is to love God and love others. And we sometimes get so wrapped up in what it means to love God, we forget to love other people. And especially in our political moment, when there's so much political tension around what does it mean to serve the poor? What does it mean to stand up against racism? What does it mean for the church to care for children and vulnerable peoples? These have all become political issues. And we get really timid and scared when we start having conversations as a church about what it means for us to stand up against racism. What it means for us to stand up for children, specifically for unborn babies. Or what it means for us to to um, call out sin for what it is in the community. These all become politicized issues and we get so nervous But Jesus comes and he says, the lowly, the vulnerable, the oppressed, the outsider, they belong to me. 
specifically those who are named as vulnerable or lowly or second class by the religious establishment. By us. He says, no, these people. Show me where the disabled people are. Show me where the kids are. Show me where the outsiders are. That's where I want to be. So Palm Sunday, we hail Jesus as the Messiah. Hosanna to the Son of David. And he didn't just ride into Jerusalem. He's riding into our church. And he rides into our hearts. And his kingship should confront us as it delivers us. And that's what happens when we encounter Jesus. And that's what he invites us to in the gospel. Now, we always have a choice when we're encountered by Jesus. We can pretend that he's some kind of Jesus idea of Jesus that we made up and live in this dreamland. That's what the people did in Jerusalem. They decided this is going to be the guy who cast out the Romans. And then when he wasn't that, they said, crucify him. We can hold to our little ideas of Jesus where he's the, he's exactly the fit that we want that never challenges us and never spooks us and never actually gets to love us. We can create Jesus in our image and say, Hosanna to the son of David. But it's not going to last very long. Or we can say Hosanna to the son of David and lay our metaphorical cloaks down before him and reach for a palm branch. In other words, do everything in our power to receive him and submit to him. Now, the power for us to see Jesus as he is isn't something we can do in our flesh, of course. It requires the Holy Spirit working in us. We know that. But we also know, as we've quoted a lot in the last few weeks, that Jesus said, come to me, anyone who's weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. We know that Jesus in Revelation tells the church, I stand at your door and I'm knocking. Open it to me. So the Palm Sunday invitation is for us as his people to receive him. To receive him as the true king. To receive him as the one that puts our real enemy to death. To receive him as the one that approaches the lowly. And that means that he's going to direct us to those places as well. Let's pray.